So, Clay, first we had the Romulans in the Delta Quadrant, mm -hmm. and now we've got the Cardassians mm -hmm. in the Delta Quadrant. We're just pulling back all the races mm -hmm. that we enjoy from our time with TNG, and they're going to make appearances here, spread the seeds like they did in that TNG episode where the alien race with the smooth faces spread the seeds to all the worlds, and we turned into different people. And here we're just going to have Lady Guldicott running around in state of flux and running around with the Kazon, I suppose. Gal. Gal, Gal Ducat, yeah, Gal if you will. <laughs> That's better than what I had. Obviously, I hadn't had time to think about this. Yeah, we're going to be talking about State of Flux, which is the 11th episode of the first season of Star Trek Voyager. Came out April 10th, 1995. One of nine in the Seska arc. Teleplay goes to Chris Abbott. Ooh. Story credit goes to Paul Robert Coyle. Directed by Robert Shearer. In universe date 48658.2, which is 2371. In this one, short little logline called State of Flux, an unknown Voyager crew member secretly sends information to the Kazon. I was a little bit surprised by this one because the way... Um, I don't even know if this is a big problem for the episode, but it's something that I was noticing the whole time. I, I couldn't remember... I was I was going the last time we saw the Kazon was in Caretaker, right? Like I was thinking that the whole episode is like we haven't run into them since then, I don't think. And then I confirmed yeah. it. The last time we saw them was in the pilot and caretaker. Um I don't know how much of a is an actual problem. I was a little the way they were treating the Kazon in this one struck me as strange in some ways. It kind of felt like they've had a whole season of Kazon adventures that I was not privy to and I wasn't seeing. And then, you know, like Janeway uh, shoots like a strobe light and it shows an image of a ship for a split second. She goes, my God, it's the Kazon. Mm -hmm. It's like, I wouldn't have been able to pick that out of a hat, but I don't know. Did that, did that stick out to you? She, she saw that ship for about yeah. half a second and she managed yep. to spot it. The, Kazon, the Kazon outline um, is identifiable as Michael Jordan's bald head. You know how they always did that test yes. so you can identify yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, um, I did notice that. Uh, I thought it was a little bit strange um, that they played them that way. However, I kind of preferred it because I didn't. I didn't really like the Kazon that much in the in the Caretaker, um, and so having not seen them since then, this sort of felt like a bit of a reintroduction to me. Uh, the downside to it, though, is I feel like they are playing them a lot closer to like Cardassians or Klingons. So it, in just the way that they present them and the way that they act and stuff. So, you know, that your mileage may vary with that, whether or not you wanted a brand new antagonist yeah. uh, with a, with a, with a new outlook and stuff. But, um, <clears throat> I think the, while the reaction did seem strange to me, um, I thought it did its job to, to make it uh, a big deal, uh, I guess. Um, I didn't, I wasn't totally sure what the status of them as a culture was, I guess, because I, I think if I remember correctly, I, I remember being kind of surprised that they had ships in mm -hmm. Caretaker because they seemed so primitive. And then again, in this one, they have very advanced ships, but they don't have like a replicator and that's a huge deal. And I guess replicator is, is pretty exclusive to, I mean, it is, it is technology that if, if it existed would change the yeah. face of the earth. Um, um, so I, 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 I did, it didn't bother me that they played them differently. Uh, and I think, I think Janeway's reaction to it was, did enough heavy lifting to make them seem like a big deal. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's like, a. I don't even think it's really a problem, but it's it sort of gave them a gravitas that I wasn't uh I didn't think had been sort of earned at that point. I, I guess it comes back to right. like yeah. the show really hasn't set up why we're still running into Kazon, really. You know, like we've talked about this in the Discord yeah. a little bit, but it's yeah. like they're going at incredibly high speeds in one direction. Mm -hmm. How far do the Kazon go? where you're still running into right. them as in a certain kind of situation. And I guess people have said that there's a, like a, 
the explanation is that the Voyager is like collecting supplies before it starts off on its mission. I find this to be kind of a silly excuse. I think I've talked about that before yeah, because yeah. they should just they should just go. They're going to find things as they go. You know, it's not they're not crossing Death Valley and they need to stock up at the CVS or something before they go across. <laughs> right. They they don't yeah. know what's out there. There's. There's McDonald's all up and down 93. You're going to hit one eventually. <laughs> I think that's the I think that's what's most surprising about the Kazon and I I think it's probably one of the storylines that would be like after you came up with the concept of what this series was, series was, you would eventually after thinking, "Oh, that's a great concept and like that'll be really interesting and they're trying to get home." You'll eventually after you write a couple scripts run into the realization that it doesn't make a lot of sense that they keep running into the same people yeah. over and over, but I don't think you would think of that right away as you came up with the concept. Well, I think it's kind of an easy fix if you change what the Kazon are a little bit. And um if the Kazon were closer to say like the Orion Syndicate or something like that, where they are a people or a crime syndicate or, or organization that has further reaches outside of that one planet. Um, I think that kind of helps out a lot because then you can just, you know, there's plenty of reasons right. why you'd run into them at that point, depending on how wide their reach is. But yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it is, it is strange if it was like I'm driving from Boston to New York and I keep running into guys from Peabody. Yeah. on the way you know like oh it's connecticut i've just run into another guy from peabody although in connecticut you probably would but couldn't believe it that's a good it's a it's a it's an accurate description of what the issue would be and and as you said the Kazon aren't technologically developed enough where they make sense as a empire that is enormous that the crew right. is going to keep running right. into yeah. because they're um kind of under underneath all that what the i do my other my other thing with the Kazon, which <clears throat> is I don't think my, at least my memory doesn't serve me in this in this case surprise surprise but I don't remember them being that much of a threat and so I think that's why it feels weird the way they play it here the way Janeway plays it being um, so scared of them yeah like I don't remember seeing them do anything that would uh would elicit such a reaction from right. from her uh, in that sense um yeah they're they're warriors but not but, klingon destroyer warrior types like they don't just seem bloodthirsty for the sake of being bloodthirsty i i think it's maybe a problem right. i don't really know what the kazan are about at this point they don't really seem mm-hmm. to have a clear yeah. like identity as to what kind of thing they are besides just generic bad guys but you know it, it even kind of undercuts it a little bit um Maybe somewhat in the script. It, it, it might be one of those things where I'm just kind of overthinking. But, but when they discover the Kazon ship at the start, Jane was like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And then at the end of the episode, they're like, yeah, we could handle we could handle a couple of Kazon ships. Maybe not yeah. five of them, but we could <laughs> we could take maybe four. And, and so it kind of See, undermines the, yeah, that itself. Was, that, was the, that was the thing, too, because I, I couldn't remember how big or how advanced exactly Voyager was. I thought they were, I, from my memory, they were kind of underpowered or something. And so when whoever it was was like, despite the advanced weaponry we have, it'll be fairly difficult to fight off four of these ships. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, why are they acting as though like the 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 the, the D6 or whatever, the D12? <laughs> what's the what's the what's the I think it's the one? B6, right? The B6 uh, battlecruiser <clears throat> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, not, it's not like they th- that guy showed up with 14 photon cannons on the front of it. it yeah. Um, so yeah, they do they do strangely overpower the Kazon at least in perception in this for some reason. Yeah. Just I, to set do you up. do you think they have to though? Like do you think if you don't you end up with less tension to the story? I I feel like in a first season I would have just let it ride and I'd say how is this going? And by the end of the first season we can decide if we want to make a dominion style empire that we have to run into again mm-hmm. and again, you know. But I I think for a first season I think it's actually biting off more than it can chew to have recurring aliens. I think you could do the entire 15 episodes by just they never run into anybody over and over again and they just have 15 sort of standalone sure. episodes. Yeah. I I think that would be fine and it's a way for a show to settle into itself before it decides that no, the Kazon are going to be recurring villains for some reason, um, but we don't actually know what they are. You know, and so I guess before we go further into it, what's your general sense of state of flux? 
Uh, my first thought is if this was an Enterprise episode, the title would probably be State of Flocks, mm-hmm. which I yes. would appreciate. Um, <clears throat> but uh, honestly, I don't know what it is, but Voyager Season 1, <laughs> best <laughs> first season of Star Trek I've seen in a lo- out, out of all of them, yeah, I think, probably except maybe TOS. Yep. <clears throat> it was another yeah. one that I really liked. I thought it was really good. I uh, I mean, it's not breaking any new ground. It's kind of Star Trek Six to a certain extent, but um, I just thought it was a I, I thought it was a, a fun story that used the Maquis thing in a way that they hadn't really done in a bit. <clears throat> um, put Chakotay front and center and actually had him deal with his position and yeah. the, how he was put in between the two worlds he's living in and stuff. Uh, some uh, again, some fantastic detective work from Tuvok, which yep. is the highlight of the show for me and so some far. Cold, ice cold <laughs> lines at the very end scene. There, he's like, "How can I be honest with you today, Commander?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I really, I really love that line. I, I thought Voyager continues to hit ten out of ten ending scenes, even if they're not like completely yeah. necessary or completely, um, like relevant in some cases like sometimes they feel a little bit tertiary but just within the context of the scene there's they're really strong i thought tuvok at the end of this was just <laughs> he had some great lines about like just great vulcan lines responding to chakotay and chakotay yeah. asking him like did i fuck up is this my fault you know it's good it's good stuff yeah i i really like that the that bit that he says where he says uh the demands on a Vulcan's character are extraordinary difficult, extraordinarily difficult. Do not mistake composure for ease. I was like, that's a hell of that's a, a Deadwood line. That's, really line. Like that's that. a Deadwood line of dialogue, I <laughs> oh, think. Yeah. Do yes, not mistake yes. composure for yeah. ease is something that uh Yeah. Garrett would say or something like that. Yeah, it's um Yeah. It, it was good. I I maybe I I don't know if I was negative on this one. I I think that I really enjoyed this one and I thought it was good. And as you were saying, I thought it took advantage of the setup in a way that uh, was interesting. And I was reading that mm-hmm. it kind of ties into the Kazon thing. This is a, this is one of the, this is one of the first pitches that the show bought and it came from an outside writer. And the oh, really? pitch, the pitch was based entirely on caretaker, which is where the, why the Kazon kind of mm. feel like they're popping up again because he just brought them up at that point. And why it also feels like it's hyper focused on the Maquis Starfleet schism because there's nothing else to go on mm-hmm. at that point. <laughs> Yeah, because shocker of shocker, someone read that first script and was like, "Oh, I see where the main right, conflict well, we, of the show is going to be." Clearly, this is and the then, way. And then apparently, the people who don't who make the show did not read that. I thought this one was good. I thought it felt just slightly more disjointed than some of the earlier episodes that I think have been a little bit mm, better yeah. than it. It was. Um, I don't think there was anything really wrong with this one, but it kind of. I, I think a lot of it is just along the lines of like how the Kazon pop up. I feel a lot of the stuff just pops up in this episode, which is 11 episodes sure. in just yeah. feels a little bit strange at this point and was a little yeah. bit distracting yeah. for me, even though I think, you know, Seska has been there since the start. So she's not a character that we're unfamiliar with. Um, Sean spoiled a couple episodes ago, the fact that this is going to happen with her to us. So like we knew that something I- was... I didn't even remember that. I knew I remembered him saying something about Seska sticking around, but I did not remember what he said. So, because she's such a background character, yeah, a background character earlier yeah. than this, and this is the first one where she's actually done something. I don't know. I I, I might even have trouble really summing up what my thing was, but it, it just felt to me like it was somewhat choppy getting from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and. I don't know how much of that is like a, a, a fault of mine where I'm not really buying into it or I just think that the placement of the episode is kind of strange. But I, I liked all the stuff that was in mm-hmm. it. And I thought it was good. I don't know. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah, I think um, I think structurally it's a little choppy or if not structurally because like I think it hits the right beats at the right time. But I do think like the way that they transition into certain things is could be a little bit better. The, the prime example being when uh, uh chakotay when the first time seska is suspected of being involved chakotay pulls her out of engineering and is like all right you're going to work on the bridge with me and she complains and he's like the, there's no you, you can't be i if i didn't trust you you wouldn't be on the bridge 
And then she's just like, well, screw you. And then just wanders off mm-hmm. and then immediately goes into sick bay and starts fucking with the, the patient. <laughs> <clears throat> Not exactly the best move by Chakotay to take her out of the thing she's supposed to be, then just let her wander off instead of following her to the position where you could watch her the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like that that kind of thing. It's like, all right. would I mean, maybe you could argue that Chakotay is in that moment kind of like demurring to her and saying like, ah, yeah, she's right. I shouldn't be so hard on her or something. But it just felt kind of clunky to get her into sick bay in order to uh, look at the patient and stuff. <clears throat> so just kind of some stuff like that. I think connective tissue. Uh, I was, I was actually surprised because I had no idea what this episode was about. <clears throat> and so based on the, and so based on the title and the opening cold open, I thought it for sure had something to do with the fact that Chakotay got shot in the stomach. Yeah. I thought he was going to start like, phasing in and out of existence or something <laughs> i wasn't expecting a a uh a uh, spy thriller uh, 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 sp- yeah spy thriller it is a weird um, title so that was yeah. that was nice i guess the yeah it was a nice it was a nice uh bit to do and um you know like i said it brought back some of the stuff i wish they did more of but yeah i i, I agree with you i think it's 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 could be a little bit smoother in certain places definitely I think, um, I, I guess originally the title of the episode, the working title was just Seska, but they thought it gave away what the answer was by the end yeah, of it. So a they, bit. <laughs> they, they changed it to State of Flux, which it, it is a weird title. It, it feels like much more of a sci fi title than what the actual content of the episode is. Um, I think that while I like Chakotay, and I generally think that this is a really interesting way to show him as a man between worlds who's trying to navigate the politics of where his position finds him in kind of a Game of Thronesy way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the episode does him a lot of favors because I think that in the no. first place, I think that he's I think he's a little bit stuck in that they're unwilling to really show him as a kind of like little finger string puller where he is actually mm-hmm. has to play politics with both sides at the same times. And yeah. the way they, they try to get around that by having him still be a kind of strict Starfleet officer who has ties to the Maquis, but is ultimately going to side with Janeway against any of them is that they tried to cram this in as this is a relationship that he's had for a couple of years now. And because right, right. they want to, they want to pack a little bit of like pathos into that decision that he's going to screw her over. I thought it would have been much more effective if he is just portrayed as much more sympathetic to the Maquis crew and that he's grown up mm-hmm. and like lived with them for a long time. And he doesn't need this romantic relationship. It's just the fact that he thinks that Tuvok and Janeway are, paranoid about the Maquis and he legitimately thinks that Seska couldn't have done this. I think that would have been a little bit more interesting than no, I, I had sex with her and I have to defend her like that kind of sloppy, just lazy defense Mm -hmm. because he's been in a relationship. I just, I was thinking if this episode had gone in a direction where it's more about the paranoia of Janeway and Tuvok and Chakotay sort of like battling their uh, within themselves events by like which crew members can we trust at this point and what's gone wrong it doesn't go right, that way right. but i think that's because chakotay's stuck where he is yeah i think so my biggest problem with chakotay up to this point has been he has been fairly they have translated man stuck between two worlds into man who is very ineffective and ineffectual Mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a big imprint on the action a lot of times and i don't think i think this episode would have been a good episode to give him a little bit more agency and, and really kind of show where his uh decisions were coming from and and what his point of view really was and i don't think they did that i think he he's kind of along for the ride in this a bit and he is getting pulled in either direction but he's not really ever <clears throat> he's not ever really doing anything for himself really he's just kind of like going going down the line as things as everything kind of happens around him and i think that's part of the thing is like that relationship thing the relationship thing i feel like makes him feel wishy-washy for exactly the reasons you said because now it's about personal relationships and 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 uh uh dating history Mm -hmm. versus 
whether or not he actually does trust the Maquis people and whether or not he actually does believe that they are not what the the Federation people say that they are. And so ultimately, yeah, he's just, I don't know, he doesn't come off as, you know, I don't really know what the word is, but he doesn't come off as assertive as I think he could. Yeah, I think uh, I think a good example would be uh, the soup scene where he's recovering and Seska brings him the soup that she had stolen. I mm-hmm. like I really what, what I see is the problem there is like I really like that scene uh, where Chakotay's laughing about it. She's telling it. And then she says that she reveals that she stole the soup from she stole rations mm-hmm. basically from the rest of the crew to give to Chakotay and Chakotay in the show takes a a very Starfleet you shouldn't steal type thing where I think Chakotay as he's written mm-hmm. should probably be more of a do you know what kind of problems this is going to open up for me like you can't do this because yes. this is yeah. like I'm yeah. going to have to come up with something you've got me in this condition like I can't be going against the captain like that it's not th- that he's righteous about you stole the soup and that's wrong it's more that he doesn't want the Maquis crew members creating problems for him that he's going to have to deal with down the exactly line, yeah you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the problem with him throughout the show up to this point is that he ends up being written as <clears throat> straight down the line Starfleet. Starfleet's the way things have to go instead of being written as a guy who's in the middle who has to maintain the peace and has to keep the ship right. Yeah. 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 He's I like the actor. You know, I think I could like Dakota. He's just not particularly written very well, but I, I, I think that he would be. Do you know how old he is at this point? Uh, the like actual the actor. the actual actor I can I can look it up. Do you think yeah. that he's older or I, younger? I was just trying to wrap my mind around it because uh, I couldn't tell, but I was like, I can't tell if this guy in this sh- at this point in the show is younger than me, and I feel like he might be. He's forty, forty one. He was born in fifty three. Oh, really? Yeah, and this came out in ninety. Okay. What did I say? It was ninety. 94 is that what i said that this came out in 95 this came out in, so he's 42 yeah okay all right i for i for some reason in my head i i, I figured he was like 35 or something mm-hmm. but okay that that makes more sense he's got the hair Not color they, matters, didn't, they but... didn't gray him up artificially for uh for the the right. sequences i yeah. guess yeah i don't know and would, would you want him to be i think he's the right age for the character i think that's I appropriate do too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 I, I i like him but again i think he's he, they've just got him in this weird sort of like wishy-washy position where he's not really doing a ton. Um, he, you know, he he gets stuck with the uh, the bullshit um, ancient Native American history lore crap. Yeah, spirit and, animal gets brought up in this one. Is a sick burn from Seska. yeah no. <laughs> It was it was great. That was great because she's like, go tell your spirit animal about it. He's like, I will. <laughs> Freddy the Frog has a lot but of yeah, good insight I, into these situations. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like you. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's good. He, uh, But yeah, I, I just don't think they give him a ton to do at this point. And I think his because his actual actions are so limited his internalizing of the situation acting wise comes off as ineffectualness in, in, yeah. ineffectualness is that a word sure yeah um impotence as opposed to, to yeah sure yeah yeah instead of instead of internal struggle yeah it it just turns into sort of like a, a general impotence yeah yeah it's we'll see if they fix it i i don't know if they will i i, I think he's the character that most <clears throat> like obviously suffers from the tone that they want this to be a Star Trek show because I think like mm-hmm. maybe after him would be someone like Bolana, but I still think that Bolana's like fieriness comes through in a way like she's clearly a yeah. Starfleet yeah. character, but she's more difficult to deal with than some of the others. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I find if I kind of walk away from this one at the end, even though I enjoy thinking that. I don't think that Chakotay – I feel like they just kind of missed the mark about what Chakotay should be concerned with in this episode where it's like, you know, at the end he's very yeah. upset about like how could I let this have gone by me and he has this conversation with Tuvok. How come I didn't notice this stuff? And I think that there's a 
I don't think that they effectively capture the betrayal that Chakotay is supposed to feel from this. Because, and I think that mm-hmm. if he was mm-hmm. more backing of the Maquis there and was more, you had more scenes with him and, and, and them and there was a little bit more of this undercurrent of they are operating as like a shadow uh, crew within the larger crew that they have their own motivations and own goals and stuff like that. And him, mm-hmm. and even the episode making a better case that it's not Seska, they try to they try to do uh, the right, cheap yeah. man, poor man's chief <laughs> O'Brien as the suspect. And it's like this is not working. Yes. Um, <laughs> my maybe the least favorite scene is when uh, Janeway calls in the poor man's chief O'Brien and he sits down, and Tuvok and Chicote just stand right next to him and look down at him at the chair, and he's like, "Is <laughs> did I did I do something wrong? That's not good." And it's always mm-hmm. Seska, so there's no. I don't think that the episode ever showed me that I should feel surprised and betrayed by Seska the whole time, you know? I yeah. Know. Yeah. I <clears throat> I wonder if it's a um <clears throat> excuse me. Um I wonder if it's sort of like a conscious choice to not put the Maquis on trial as opposed to just a single person. It it, it does cause it because it does it does feel like they're kind of hedging their bets a little bit and, and, and going halfway with the Maquis thing, even though they're bringing it up, by having her be uh, essentially having this be a matter of a single person and not a, not a matter of Chakotay putting his faith in, <clears throat> you know, the wrong people, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it was a bigger conspiracy in then, the, um, the teleporter episode, the prime factors, when there were multiple, yeah. like Tuvok and multiple yeah. crew members were actually involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, like this way it allows one person to be to blame, whereas I think if you went the other way, it puts that onus more on Chakotay because now you're, you're, you're putting Chakotay's beliefs on trial as opposed to the actions of a single person, Yeah, <clears throat> which I think is probably more interesting if you did it the other way. Um, but I wonder if it was them sort of like just hedging a bit uh, as far as whether or not they wanted to completely undercut the uh, decision-making process or ability of this first officer so quickly. Yeah, it would have been more, I think it would have been more interesting. I guess that's a good segue into what did you think of Seska and her plot in this one? Like her, her general, um, her decision, what she did, and her rationale for it, I guess, are the three components of her character in this one. I think it's unfortunate that they found out she was Cardassian because if they hadn't, I think her her explanation was actually kind of good because she was essentially as to why a, to give them the before replicator? she turned. You mean yeah? And to, but before she turned into a cartoonish villain at the end, her explanation of oh well we're alone out here we should be making friends is is not the worst rationale in the world. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I thought it was befitting of a Cardassian, into, actually. I can understand what you mean, but I, I thought that, yeah. that that felt like a Cardassian point of view. I could see, like, Goldicott making that argument. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, once she turns, once, you know, the the eyebrows go up and the lighting gets harder and she starts talking about ruling ruling the Delta Quadrant with an iron fist, it's like, all right, mm. okay. that That is a little bit different. That's a little <laughs> bit hard to get behind. But, <clears throat> but I think, but, yeah, I think it's... Uh, um, her plot was ultimately, I think, kind of like the other stuff in this. It was ultimately felt like it was sanded down a bit, and and a more uh, gray interpretation. I think would have been more interesting all around. Yeah, because because <clears throat> she does bring up before they out her, or may, I think it's before. Nah, maybe it's in the in the process. I can't remember. She does put it all on Janeway and and be like, you know, because of. This captain, this this uh, terrible captain who made an awful decision and went by the rules of Starfleet and the Federation, we are now stuck. Oh, yeah, that's because she said a Cardassian would have been home. Yeah. This never would have happened to Cardassians. <clears throat> but, like, that is that is an interesting – if she's not immediately exposed as a Cardassian and so immediately portrayed as a bad guy, that's an interesting point of view that no one's really gone into at that point. And it – especially coming from a Maquis person who's like they're trying to keep this peace. It's it's interesting as well. I'm not saying she doesn't – 
I'm not saying making her Cardassian was bad, mm. but it just does make things a little bit more black and white when I think there's some gray area that could be a little bit more fun. Yeah, she's um I I like her rationale up until like you were saying the point where she's like in we need to build an empire out here because we're never getting home. And it's like, well, this seems a little bit far-fetched right. at this point. It, I, I, I buy it because it does seem very Cardassian. Um, it, it feels like it's a layer too much maybe. And it's a, an attempt by the show to portray her as she's one of the bad aliens. Therefore, this is a justifiable thing that she's done in that case. And we don't have to actually be concerned mm-hmm. about what a human would do. I w- like her, her arc was interesting to me because well, first off, this episode opened my eyes to the incredible danger that everyone's in whenever you ask for Earl Grey hot from the replicator that it can yeah. just destroy your Seriously. shit. <laughs> so, you, know, you know what? When uh, when they first went to that ship and everybody was like zapped into the rocks and shit, yeah. for a second I thought it was I thought it was the Pegasus drive. Yeah. Because isn't that what happens? That is. Doesn't, yeah. the, doesn't the ship like phase into rock or something like that? <laughs> yeah, so I thought tracks. it was something connected to that. <laughs> Would have been a little bit more. Dr- I see. I liked the replicator thing. I thought that was the most effective plot twist, which is like, oh, it's actually like a helpful yeah. technology. At that point, where I was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of a neat twist. I was also a little concerned. I was like, the episode isn't going to go with Seska was just trying to get these poor people some food, right? Like that's not going to be. Hopefully that's not the way that they choose to go, and it's not. It's a little bit more um, devious than that. But I did, as you were saying, I like the fact that the replicator is kind of a neat technology that's a little bit underplayed in how revolutionary it is so far in the franchise. But a lot of people, if you don't have it, that would be like, wow, this is an amazing thing to have. Um, What I think that... Where I think that it sort of flounders a bit... Or maybe not, maybe it doesn't flounder, but I, I find her arc there to be somewhat effective, and I think that they made the I think that they made the right decision to play her as someone who is trying to get something out of them by giving them a replicator technology. I thought that mm-hmm. the 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 episode itself had to work really hard to make that disguised and to like hide the fact that that's what's going on. So they make the replicator very dangerous. They make all this weird stuff happen. Uh, they make it so that it. Um, Bolana has that very strange line where they're in a place that's you know a billion miles away from home, and she goes, "The only people I know who have a technology like this is us." And it goes, "Well, you don't know anybody out here, so I don't know if you can really d- draw that conclusion at this point that no one else has discovered it." But so I think that the episode had to well dance around the fact that it had to hide. Stuff well, you're like right. That. Well, you're right. Technically, she's not wrong either because she doesn't know anybody else. So. That's true. She's not lying, as as Tuvok says. Yeah. She she is being. But honest. I but I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, as they say in as they say in Ghostbusters, she's telling the truth, or at least she thinks she is. Yeah, the lie detector is not going to get you. I thought it was good. I I don't know about her running off with the Kazon at the end. That is weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't I was, know if that's right. I was going to say the one change I would probably make, <clears throat> and this is uh, this is probably me just being still being bitter about how they played the Daniels thing in Enterprise. Mm. Um, I would have had them not find out she was a Cardassian, but reveal it to the audience that she was a Cardassian and keep her on the ship. Yeah. With so the crew knowing what she's done, basically she goes. Yes, yeah. yeah. So she they, she gets found out. Um, you know, she gets they figure out it was her. She makes her appeal that's a little bit more gray than than cartoonishly evil, and then they discipline her as as needed. <clears throat> but as far as everybody on the ship is concerned, she's just a Maquis crew member who went out and did something that they shouldn't have done. Um, <clears throat> whereas the audience realizes, oh, there's a there's a Cardassian on the ship because it's it's weird because when they when they beamed her out of there, <clears throat> I found myself thinking, what the hell? What the hell? Are the car? The, you know, what are the Kazon going to do with one Cardassian? Right. Like, why do they need her? What's what what benefit does she bring to anything that they're trying to do? Yeah. Um. I mean, once she's off, once she's off Voyager, she doesn't have any technology. Right. All she can do is be like, well, where I'm from. Replicator replicates you. <laughs> yeah, she's she has nothing to offer them, and in my mind, 
she should be well, like I, what I guess they're trying to say is that she's much more interested in the power play than she is in getting home, which doesn't, which is probably mm-hmm. the most unbelievable aspect of that character turn. I think there is that like she's about power in this area as opposed to mm-hmm. I just want to get the hell out of here. So I tried to do the right thing and to like get us home quicker. So I, I would agree that yeah. I would. I, and I, I think that the show has gone in earlier episodes with enough of a reason of Janeway coming in and saying like, well, you fucked up, but. I need every crew member I've got right now and I can't afford to lose anybody except Seska is allowed to beam off and and go elsewhere for that. So I don't know. I mean, she comes back clearly because there's eight other Seska arc episodes that we have to get through. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see interesting to see what she uh how she ends up playing with the with the Kazon going forward. Um I mean I could I could see her rationalizing the situation. And being like, all right, well, I mean, we're clearly not going to get home, so we may as well try to establish <clears throat> dominance in the in the quadrant. Which is, she goes off with the Kazon. Maybe that's what her what her thought is. I don't know. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, it's a very meta thing. I I wonder if that like if you're thinking long term of the series, I wonder if that's an episode that comes in a couple seasons where people are like, we're never getting home. Right, we're going to abandon ship at this point and it's it's kind of consideration i i still think it's early for characters to because we've only seen them for a couple episodes who knows how long they've been traveling but for them to give up already seems a little bit early for some of the crew to feel that way but who knows um hey remember in discovery and that short trek in between seasons when the the guy found the abandoned discovery ship and, and hung out with the computer yep. and it was like way in the future. Yep. Did that ever amount to anything? I can't remember. Well, the ship is becoming sentient in the last discovery season that we covered. So it's that, it's that connection, I guess, you oh, know, okay. there's no timeline connection yeah. that's been played up yet. I, because I think that's even after what has to be, that's after the latest seasons in the, 32nd century or whoever they are right because it was like even like a thousand years past that yeah. or something right yep yeah just wondering just popped into my head nope no no answers although we haven't seen the latest season so everyone else can fill us in if they that's they, true they, if they yeah. drew some kind of connection to that short track i don't know we're in the middle of star trek picard you can watch it on the patreon channel it might be over by now actually loving so. it <laughs> loving it it might be over so let's wrap do you have anything else you want to say about state of flux or should we go to patron thoughts um not not like of substance but i did really <laughs> i did really like the scene where it's chakotay and janeway and tuvok in like the conference room talking about it's when they reveal that there was the uh unauthorized transmission and stuff like that yeah for whatever reason, the way they decided to block that shot is with the three of them close enough that they could be kissing each other. Yeah, in a big room. And it's just, we, it's, it's, yeah, it's so tight. It, like they had just the previous, I think it was, I think it only stood out to me because the previous scene, they were on the turbo lift. Yeah. And so they're kind of that close by necessity. And then they cut back to them and they are still just right up on top of each other as they're talking about this stuff. And then they, you know, the door opens and you realize how big the room is. <laughs> I, um, I noticed the blocking of that too. I really liked the blocking in the conversation of them walking down the hallway into the turbo lift and discussing Tuvok giving like yeah. his only mm-hmm. logical explanation as to, as to what this could be. I um, I really like. I I know I go on about this, but I really like the Vulcan writing there because what they do in that situation is that they have him give his list of reasons why it could be, but they. They stage it properly. They do the rule of three thing, which is like that rule of comedy, which is that if you're making a joke, the first two are the serious things, and then the third one is the funny one. There's like it gives you a little bit of timing to get mm-hmm. to the thing. But what they do for the Vulcans is that he's got three things, and the first two are clearly absurd, sort of. So you're like, no, that can't be it. That can't be it. Oh, mm-hmm. I see what you're getting at, Tuvok. I just thought it was nicely constructed in a way. Like, um, yeah, it, it's just all of his his options are correct, but they are not plausible at that point but there's still options right. that he has to bring up i just liked it well i 
I actually like that too because I didn't think of them as implausible. I thought of them as oh, that's interesting. Like oh, I if see. Yeah, he's putting out there because you know he's the Vulcan bringing logical blah 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 and you know whatever. And so for him to be like, well, one of the options is that it came from somebody else who's out here in the quadrant. I was like, oh, I hadn't mm-hmm. considered that. That's interesting. But obviously, yeah, the, the the two that he gives are the more far-fetched than the obvious one, which is someone from our ship gave it to them. Yeah, what was the first one he so, says? And that he says, um, well, some, I don't remember. someone's out here with the Federation. I can't remember. It was the, more, it was the most implausible one, whatever it was. Um, anything else for this one? I thought I had something else about it, but I might potentially... Oh, my... Um, my my favorite edited scene was the uh, when the other two Kazon come on the ship and they kill the Kazon that's in sick bay. I just I th- I know they wanted it to be a quick murder sequence, but I thought it was almost borderline comedy where they they shank him with the ring knife or the ring needle, and then the thing immediately mm-hmm. flatlines and the doctor goes, "He's dead." <laughs> in a series that has a franchise that has brought more people back to life from death than right. any other show. Right. That doctor just gave up immediately yeah. on that one. What did they what did they do like two episodes ago when, when somebody Kim is died dead. and they brought yeah, him Kim, back to life, right? Kim died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harry Kim Harry Kim gets euthanized and sent through a transporter and they bring him back no problem. But this guy's like, yep, ah, nope, sorry. It's totally flat. Yeah, that, that scene was also weird. That scene was also weird because it was it, it almost seemed like it was shot at half speed or something mm. because the way that they touch the guy's neck and then Tuvok like grabs the guy and, and puts, puts him, him the against wall. the wall yeah. felt very it was very I don't know there was something awkward about it. it it felt like it was a rehearsal or something yeah yeah well it's a um it was it seemed like an awkward scene to stage in any way that feels like a realistic yeah. thing that's happening there not a great scene for the Kazon either I don't think they're just got a generic in that one um that's it I guess so we'll go to final thoughts I also Sorry, I also like that scene when when uh, they ask to be alone with with their Kazon brethren. Mm-hmm. Janeway takes the doctor over and she's like, "Is there any way that you could possibly tell them it's unsafe to move him?" And the doctor's, like, "Well, yeah, that would be true." She's like, "Oh, thank God." <clears throat> Stress off my back, and um, I guess we'll just bring up quickly a little bit of Kess in this one. Haven't, the show hasn't done much with mm-hmm. her. She's kind of just the nurse now, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I still like the character, but it it felt like we've seen a couple episodes now where she is just a nurse Okawa, like a, a main cast nurse Okawa mm-hmm. in the show for whatever reason. Yeah, so. very uh, very little Tom Paris in this one too. Yeah, he's been backgrounded too. He just he now he drives the ship all the time. That's his mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. Harry Kim just delivers exposition in this one, which is what. It, what it needs yeah. to be that you know that's another thing <clears throat> you know we we're talking about things that were a little bit clunky and, and transitional and stuff like th- that opening scene it was fine um but my first thought was like why did chakotay go by himself to find her yeah like harry kim's like oh yeah i think she's down in the caves and he's like all right everybody go back and i'll get her and why didn't he bring kim with him who yeah. knew where the ca- you know what i mean where the caves were um, yeah right yeah yeah it's just it's just some of that stuff is a little bit awkward in, in the way that it's set up, but it's not it's not that big of a deal. I think overall it was a pretty good story. I wonder what that root tasted like. Must have tasted pretty bad. Must have been the worst tasting mm-hmm. root that anyone has ever Yeah, their their foraging thing just never really never sits right with me. I don't I don't really understand what they're doing there. It's they, it's because they don't look desperate. They yeah. just look like they're walking around picking berries for yeah. fun. It doesn't. It there's no desperation to what they're doing. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Christian had posted a big explainer of the the how the energy systems work on a starship on the Discord, but I just, like I, I I find them looking for fuel to make sense, but not really food. Like because mm-hmm. everything comes from their fuel. They should just be concerned sure. about we need fuel because that makes everything else and. They don't need to be digging up alien potatoes to, to, to eat. You know, that just seems like a waste yeah. of time. So well, that's it. We'll go give to them fuel. Give them fire. Give them give fuel. Them that which they desire. <laughs> their lifestyle does determine their death style, which will be coming up in an upcoming episode. Thanks, everybody, for greatest. 
greatest song lyric ever. <laughs> you know, I should have brought that's a good one. I should bring that up on the next badass when Sean asks like for the most epic rock lyrics. My lifestyle determines my destiny. <laughs> it's only friend tick than- tick 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 tock. <laughs> it's only better than every rose I'm has madly, a thorn. Yes, I'm madly in anger with you. That album's full of them. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Poor Metallica. All right. Anyway, let's go to two final thoughts here. Not final thoughts. It's time for patron thoughts. After we say thank you to everybody for supporting the show. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file, patreon.com slash the Penske file. We're covering a whole bunch of stuff. Clay and Amanda have their Stephen King second string going on right now. There's some Batman stuff with Sean and Clay. There's me and Clay doing Picard and Strange New Worlds, which is what we're probably up to at this point. Every week you get content, 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 content every week. You go to patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you. Special thank you goes to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Charlock, Joint Mango, Christian Bouch, Calabaric, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergey, Brandon Hells, Grim Santos, Sean, Bradley Killens, Fall 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Darth Moss, Russell Elge, Stephen Min, HH28, Derek Zay, Jack Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Poindexter G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazic, Eric Avila, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Nick the Rat, William Scheisler, Rahan Jaffer, Greppel, John Zorn, Zane Majors, Olivia Pardur, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, ZWNF Remixes, Captain Munchausen, James McLennan, Jonas, Tommy Tango, Dizbrada, Two Fix Must Die, Admiral Nakamura, Edmark Starr, <gasps> Chris McLaughlin, Royo, Jeremy Bougera, Rich for the Machine, J Man, the Undiscovered Mugato, Robbie Duffield, Will Clay, Atanga Udom, and Artorias. Thanks everybody for supporting the show and bringing the spice to these comments. If you want to support the show, you can leave comments about upcoming episodes. The Spice, not the Spice Channel. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my head, but I'm just seeing squiggly lines and somebody wiggling the cable <laughs> behind the TV to make the thing, make the thing come in. <laughs> That's probably. what happens in Dune when you when you have one of those those Spice trips. It actually what you see is <laughs> the picture, the squiggly in. Spice Channel. <laughs> <laughs> Just a hope, bunch of snow and wavy lines and one boob. What's the oldest person like who knows or the youngest person who's aware of what the Spice Channel was? I don't know. I know. Yeah, man. It's probably like um, how people used to think that like, uh, what was that HBO show about the weird sex stuff? Um, uh, oh, was it, re- was it just called Real Sex? Real Sex. Yeah. Yeah. How I used to think like that was something like um, dangerous and provocative as a high schooler, but it's just like 80-year-olds riding each other like ponies wearing black glasses. Every episode, every episode (laughs) of that show was just about old people and like nudist colonies and shit. It was so disappointing. (laughs) It was incredibly disappointing. It's the antidote to, uh, to pornography, I suppose. All right, let's go to patron comments. You leave thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them. There's a bunch. There's always been a bunch in these episodes. People love, love Voyager. Norman Buckwald says, so this is actually quite a good, intriguing episode. Yes, it's perhaps the first character retcon of many in the series. And to use a twist that only watchers who have watched other treks know about Cardassian spies is intriguing. The K-Zone actually adds some interesting components. And Janeway's I don't like bullies and I don't like you to color is absolutely awesome. Four Leola root absent mushroom soups out of five. That is something interesting to think about too because you know if you remember in the first episode i asked if the knowledge buy-in for voyager was higher than most other shows and this might be an instance of where that is true because they talk about cardassian spies and they talk about the occupation all that kind of stuff but they give you zero context as to what that means and so i mean you know if you say she's a spy that kind of kind of does the work for you i guess but like in reference to the maquis and the relationship between the maquis and the cardassians like that's all you either know it or you don't so if this was a episode of star trek picard would we be going on that harder because to me what that feels like is pointless fan service in a way that you're like what the hell does any of this amount to like why are you why are you telling me this what is the relevance Mm -hmm. here well i i think the difference is that there is relevance given the people and the, who you're who are talking to each other. Like there yeah. is a connection, like to the Maquis and 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 the Cardassians and all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense that that would be a um, 
an option. And I also think coming so quickly on the heels of Deep Space Nine, it doesn't feel as like as big of a reach. Yeah. You know? So I think it I think that I think that my problem with it is that it does not add much, but it's kind of this additional information that is supposed to feel more impressive than it actually is, which to me is yeah. like a hallmark of the yeah. modern Trek shows where they'll they'll have a thing and they'll say like, well, this is because this is a reference to this Star Trek episode and that gives it gravitas and it goes, well, it doesn't really. It's just you're, you're yeah. kind of connecting the dots. I understand what you mean. Yeah, though. like it, if it feels fine. Yeah, if on Picard... Uh, the fa- the not Laris watcher lady was all of a sudden revealed to be a Cardassian spy. Mm-hmm. I don't think that really does the show any favors because th- that's not connected to literally anything. That- Although on that show, wouldn't surprise me at this point. They're just throwing stuff at the wall at this point. So maybe it will happen. Who knows? We can Fingers <clears throat> crossed. James McLennan says, yeah. what I find most about intriguing about this episode is that there are two unrelated twists with Seska because the fact that she is betraying the crew to the Kazon and the fact that she is a Cardassian spy do not necessarily go together, but rather seems like her genuinely mm-hmm. trying to get home regardless of her race, which just serves to heighten the betrayal aspect, even though she actually betrayed Chakotay twice, if you think about it. I love when her cover is blown, True. her tone shifts into a signature Cardassian swarm. Smarm, and while the likes of Mark Alamo and Ranger Robinson do it best, this actress had the added challenge of acting Cardassian without the makeup, and I think she does a great job, for no-big-deal, full-bodied, cross-species cosmetic surgeries out of five. They turned Kira into a Cardassian. They can turn these people off of being a Cardassian. Hey, they turned Reed into one of those Sulaban guys. Did they? 25, 50 years, 100 years ago, I forget, however, yeah. Yeah, remember he they they turn him into the Sulaban so he can sneak down to the oh that's right in the, the prison um, planet right the prison yeah, yeah. okay mm-hmm. great episode of Star Trek see this is the this is the curse <laughs> this is the curse I live with now the show I know the most about is now Enterprise and it it drives me nuts yeah good callback I would not have uh, would not have remembered that. Huh. Eric McGowan says, State of Flux, the twist with Sesco was unexpected but interesting. Overall, it's a well-executed episode I enjoy watching. Also, this is the last time we'll see from Lieutenant Carey for a long time, which is too bad. Oh, that is too bad. I think he should have been utilized more as a recurring character in engineering who could play off Bolana. Four out of five. I don't miss that guy. He seemed like a fine backup actor to have in the show for mm. situations yeah. like this. Latte Librarian says, for a minute there, I thought Sesco was going to be Ileana, the missing Cardassian spy from DS9. If any ship needed a counselor, it's this one. Chakotay is going to have hella trust issues after this. Also, the Kazon look like mutated troll dolls. Three secret identities out of five. They have terrible hair. The hair is just distractingly awful yeah. hair. Yeah, it's... Um... Looks like a soft serve that you fucked up with nuts or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's all just... It's all over the place. They, 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 they are like... <laughs> they veer dangerously close to like 1960s uh bone through their nose quote unquote yeah. savages yeah caveman you know that they would, they would do on cartoons and stuff um but luckily they're they're not that they don't go that far matt ross says with the introduction of the leola route that quickly glosses over the lim- voyager's limited supplies the tension of the maquis comes into focus and sesca raises a good point that they're trapped in this place beset by enemies due to a poor choice from a starfleet captain the duplicity of sesco which later comes back is a stark contrast to Bolana's realization that she can work on a team and has self-worth the replicator's failure is scary and it makes you wonder how the testing on this device originally happened dialogue from takota and who worked for him raises interesting questions as to his own naivete three gold colored ginger roots out of five Jonas, I can't think of much to say about this one. It's pretty good. Not all that compelling. I will say that the ability to genetically alter anatomy and physiology in this universe is pretty ridiculous. Everyone's potentially an Odo. Two out of five. That kid Ben. I would have preferred. I would have preferred if the reveal was accompanied by uh, horrible flashbacks of graphic bone the torture and sex for some reason. <laughs> it's all mixed in there. Maybe this is the hell is that guy's name? Ash Tyler. Ash Tyler, yeah. One can only hope. Boy, yeah. I've, you know, we watched it, but if someone if someone held a gun to my head and was like, "Tell me the plot of Discoveries for a season," I, like, yeah. I, rem- I remember Ash Tyler. He was there. George Al was there. 
Mirror Mirror Universe, because that's yeah, always Mirror there. Mirror Universe is there. I guess that's true. Evil Lorca. Yep, it's all yep. good. That kid Ben says, this episode almost made me give a shit about Seska. Almost. Can transporters just abduct any life it can get a read on? Three double agents out of five. How come the starships don't just keep their shields up all the time? That would fix that problem, right? Well, uh, don't they, isn't it kind of like a generally perceived move of aggression to put your shields up? It is, yeah. They always react badly when it happens. But I'm just, it would prevent, it's like, um, prevents kidnapping. It's like putting the little the little anklet on the babies yeah. that are born so that people can't take them out the, the door of the hospital and stuff like that. Just put it on especially, there. Especially if you have a saboteur on your ship. Right. Might want to close off all the avenues of escape. Yeah. Oh, I guess that makes sense. She used the transporter. Because uh, when I was watching, it was like, that's the Voyager transporter. Do the Kazon not have transporters? They might not. I have no idea. They might not, because they, they might have beamed them over. So she the used effect, the Voyager. I think so. The effect when she beams out at the end, herself out. Yeah, is a Voyager transporter effect. Oh, how did how did she do that? Did she have like a remote control or something? Yeah, it must have been. She must have done it from that console that Chicote was so upset that she used in sickbay. <laughs> it must have been the same situation. Uh, but they didn't lock her out. Sure, why not? Aaron Million says, I feel bad for Chicote. Everyone under his command was, to some extent, a traitor. It's giving him trust issues. Good episode from a morality standpoint. I like the trap set for Seska. For Chicote, traitorous crew members out of five. Point extra G, we get another great mystery to solve with Chief Inspector Tuvok on the case. Federation technology is so far ahead of the Kazon that you can see how something like a lep- replicator would drastically shift power in the quadrant. The reveal that Seska is a Cardassian agent is a good twist with her featuring significantly in the last few episodes. You can tell this was something they'd been planning for some time. We'll see how it plays out, but they're definitely trying to build up some stuff for the show to work out down the line. Kyle Barrett says, like last episode, this is a tantalizing glimpse of what Voyager could have been if it kept exploring conflict within the crew, and it's a fairly strong start to the overall disappointing Seska arc. If only she ran off with any species but the Kazon. Seska is the proto-Ash Tyler, and while Discovery played up the obvious twist and hinged too much dramatic character weight on it, I think that more should have been made of the Seska reveal. Maybe if she and Chicote had been in a relationship these past few episodes rather than her just being that background character with evil eyebrows. The show is finally doing something interesting with Chicote by questioning his trustfulness and naivete, but then ruins it at the very end by saying no. He's not flawed at all, and he learns nothing that could have been a turning point for him. The best character moment might actually mm-hmm. be Torres saying she doesn't exaggerate, setting her apart from Scotty and the other engineers. Three appearances of the 60s Batcave entrance out of five. I did I did also really like towards the end when they were, they uh, uh, Torres and the crew was over in the ship getting the replicator out of the Kazon ship, mm-hmm. and Janeway frantically messages over and goes, I don't know how long it's going to take you to be done, but you got to be. And then Tor's like, no, we're done. We're on our way back. And she's like, oh, okay. okay. Great. Come on. Come on back. This is perfect. Yeah. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of Bolana being abrupt with Janeway, like multiple instances of it where she's like, I need this done by, t- I'll have it done by tomorrow. I need it done by today. No, tomorrow. She goes, okay, that's, that's mm-hmm. it. I guess mm-hmm. that's just trying to show her character or something. Benjamin Espinoza says, Inspector Tuvok is the best Tuvok. The return of the Kazon here casts them as a devious mix of Ferengi morality and Klingon honor, killing their compatriot casts them in the dark light indeed. Seska's turn was one they couldn't see coming, but fans of DS9 knew her plot had the Obsidian Order written all over it. I truly love the final exchange between Chakotay and Tuvok, a very, mu- very re- much reminiscent of TOS Spock, Kirk, and Bones parlance. Four poorly disguised ginger roots out of five. It is a, it is a ginger root that's just painted with spray paint. <laughs> yeah the um the uh that that last bit about misery loving company that that was that felt very much like kirk and spock kind of yeah. dialogue yeah <clears throat> yeah it's a um there's something yeah there is something important about a final scene really um you really have to mm. do something with them um 
I'm just like Enterprise is the most recent one. Like Picard doesn't really have ending scenes, so it's like Enterprise has been the most recently watched. And I don't think that, like, I think it just goes to show what Enterprise is in that Enterprise never had closing scenes that focused on the character responses to stuff like that, where they kind of, Mm -hmm. as a character, sum things up in a couple lines about what they're feeling. Um, Voyager's been doing it, though. They're good at it. They all... They all weirdly take place with Tuvok sitting by the window <laughs> and someone comes up to him and is like, what are you doing right here? And he says, I'm doing this. But mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. good. Otherwise, I think they're good. Patrick Seba. Seska's a spoonhead, that conniving bitch. Still trying to scratch Mr. Chicote's itch, but drafting a team of Star Trek's best friends on my best fiends on my side, I want her up on the pitch. Four gooey space ginger roots, ginger roots out of five. I am, I'm, I'm, slaughtering some of your poetry unfortunately patrick changeling says really like this one clever mystery good character moments awesome villain speech and lots of crew members growing a pair and standing up to janeway speaking of janeway she's so authoritative that she has everyone's blood on file locks you away in your quarters if you're a suspect but kill a person and you're free to go if you think they killed the guy that would give you the answer they might know too but i digress four talaxians pointing at my groin out of five (laughs) good rating scale there Royo says the discussion of the possibility of another Federation ship being stuck in the Delta Quadrant is good foreshadowing, except Janeway ruins it by saying, to her knowledge, no other Federation ships went missing. Clay said in the caretaker review, he wanted a Garrick-like character on the show, and Voyager has granted his wish. Due to the lack of serialization in Voyager, its Maquis past looms heavily over the ship in some episodes and is entirely forgotten in others. Although perhaps this is a good thing in retrospect, as the self-contained stories can remain focused on their topic. This episode forms a good pair with prime factors as they both world build around the Federation's level of tech and consider the ramifications of what even a single piece of technology can do to a civilization. It's also really nice to see the best moments of DS9 bleed into this episode as Cardassian values are being challenged against Federation values on a whole different kind of moral battlefield. 4.5 out of 5. Erica Villa says, this episode revolves around the Kazon. I don't really have much to say about it, but I do have a general observation. You notice how all the Kazon look like Matthew McConaughey. Why is that? Food for thought. <laughs> anyway, this isn't so bad, is it? I take it at this point we're still pleasantly surprised, aren't we? Maybe the fact that you did Enterprise first makes Voyager's rudimentary comfort food three-star level TV feel positively transcendental. I think we're... They, they do kind of look like Matthew McConaughey. They do look like Matthew McConaughey. Christian Pouch says, Some intrigue, some Kazons melted into the walls. What more could you ask for? Chicote gets the focus after being mostly MIA, and Seska's great. I appreciate that. For as much as I wish Voyager stuck to ongoing storylines more, at least Seska has been in a bunch of episodes before this one. We end with another fantastic Tuvok scene, which introduces some all-time Vulcan quotes. Only thing keeping it from a five, and I mean just barely, is that I'm never sold on Carrie being the bad guy. Me neither. Undiscovered Mugato says, what, little old me? I'm too busy for the doctor, honey. That's what I tell my wife when I slice my pinky in the, with the, in the barn saw, but I have to finish the bunny hutch by nightfall. Anyway, it turns out Seska wasn't the red herring. She was the actual herring. Other than her rather smooth transition to the foreground, this episode feels flat, never escalating toward anything other than her leaving, to which I say, don't let the transporter hit you where the wormhole aliens split you. Two double-crossing, no-good spoonheads out of five. Last comment, Brandon Pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, swing on this one. In, in terms of how people are responding Ratings to it? wise Yeah. Brendan yeah. Howell says, the only thing that detracts from this quite good episode is Neelix overacting, becoming a patronizing asshole, as usual. Poor Chicote, unlucky in love. If New Trek had written the Kazon, they would have been a biracial matriarchy. Seska has more character than most actors on this show. 3.5 poisonous Kalo fruit, Kylo, Kylo fruit out of five. Kioli? I forget how it was pronounced. I'll go with it. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your thoughts about State of Flux. As you were saying, Clay, a pretty broad spectrum of uh, thoughts about this one. I can kind of mm. see that. I can understand it, I think. But you can go ahead first if you want. You can give your rating on our scale of 1 to 5. Um, it's tough. Uh, I feel like it's... Did I give the last one a four? You did. I give it a five and you give it a four. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is probably like a high three. I don't think it's quite a four for me, but I think it's a it's a really solid 
episode that uh, Voyager just feels so much more focused to me than Enterprise. Yeah, because it, it like knows what its episodes are about, and then it executes that that concept and theme. Yep. Um, whereas Enterprise never really did that to a satisfying level for me. Uh, but it's tough because um, this is a judging by the way people talk about the show and how it gets later. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this ends up as a four in a year or so. Yep. Once we see what, what a three really looks like and what a two and a one really look like. Yeah. I'm going to give this one a three. I think this is a solid three for me. Um, mm-hmm. I liked it. I thought it was perfectly competent and I thought it was enjoyable to watch. I just don't think like, I don't, What's weird about it is that I think it's a it's something there's something in the execution that doesn't really work because I would think that based on what happens in this episode this would be one that'd be like you should probably watch State of Flux because that's got a lot of like great Voyager Maquis crew interaction type stuff in it and it, unfortunately it never mm-hmm. really it just never really gets to that point where I'm like this is worth watching um, I don't I don't know why that is I think it just didn't. It didn't fire on all cylinders uh, for me. So I'll give it a three. I thought it was good, but it wasn't really transcendent or anything. Uh, That's Mm. it. We'll both give it threes, but it continues to be a pretty solid season of Star Trek Voyager for its first year. We we only have four episodes left in the season, and then we're done with season one. So quick, 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 maybe four or five. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for putting us into a state of flux and supporting us at patreon.com slash the Penske file. All that good stuff is out there. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Yeah, I've got a new book out. Well, it's a repackaging of an old book, but for all intents and purposes, a new book. It's a comic book called Poser. It's a horror uh, punk rock slasher graphic novel. It takes place it's, uh, in the California punk scene. A lot of fun. Uh, you can get that on Amazon or at uh, at your local comic book store. And, uh, yeah, thanks for checking out all the other shows. Um, fuck my mind. Just, I don't even remember what they are. Uh, <laughs> Badass Podcast and That's uh, horror podcast. Rotten Horror Picture Show. Yes. Um, and thanks for uh, supporting us as we go through the second string of Stephen King. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a new uh, – by the time this is out, the the newest badass um yeah patreon will probably be up where sean and i talk about the uh red hood comic that we wrote together that'll be coming out later this year yep yeah we're well ahead now i think we're five episodes up so we've got some time there'll be stuff that has come out events of the world history have happened and we're not commenting on them right now but things will happen mm-hmm. thanks everybody for listening thank you for supporting the show we'll be back next time with I always forget to click it forward. And the next one is called Heroes and Demons. The title's not doing much for me, but we'll see how the actual episode comes through. So, Heroes and Demons. I thought, I thought the title was I Always Forget to Click It Forward, in which I thought, wow, what a, what a, <laughs> they saw a that ahead one. of its time title for <laughs> Star Trek. They saw that one coming. The next episode is called The One Where They Check Memory Alpha. Um, <laughs> we're done. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you later.